Welcome to Divorce Dialogues. I'm Katherine Miller. Divorce Dialogues brings expert guests to the airways to talk through your divorce questions and fill in the gray areas about separating. From thinking about divorce, to how to behave during divorce, to what to do after, this is Divorce Dialogues. Welcome to Dialogue on Divorce. I'm Katherine Miller. I'm the founder at the Miller Law Group and director at the Center for Understanding in Conflict, and I am on a mission to change how people divorce and help them divorce with dignity. And my guest today is Julie Ross. She's the founder and executive director of Parenting Horizons, which is an organization devoted to enriching children's lives through parent and teacher education. She is a psychologist. She's an author of numerous books on parenting, including Joint Custody with a Jerk, Raising a Child with an Uncooperative Ex, and I could go on at great length, but we would spend the entire time, Julie, talking about your accomplishments. So welcome to the show. It's a pleasure to have you. Thank you, Catherine. It's a pleasure to be here. So how did you become an expert in parenting? How did you sort of be drawn into and work in this field and and come to write all these books about parenting? Oh, that's a great question. I always had an interest in psychology. Specifically, I initially thought that I would work with children as a therapist. But I soon discovered that, you know, you can work with a child, but if you then send the child back into the environment that they are growing up in, a lot of the same issues will still crop up. So I decided that working with the parents was really a better option because if I could change the way they communicated and resolve conflict, and raise their children, that that was the ultimate benefit for kids. So it seems like what you're saying is that you could work with a kid and work with a kid and work with a kid, but if they're going back to a toxic environment, that work was all in vain. That is correct. Absolutely. And so what do you think for parents thinking about this? Is there a a best way to kind of think about this in terms of, you know, I was just talking to a client this morning and she said, you know, we're going to have the best divorce ever. And I think by that she meant, you know, for our kids, you know, we're going to show up for our kids in a way. And what do you think that really looks like, you know, the best divorce ever from the kid's perspective? Mm, I think from the kid's perspective, It looks like a divorce in which the parents still have a respectful parenting partnership where they make decisions together, where they still operate as a team, even though they're no longer operating as a team in terms of being a husband and wife. And I think people often have very good intentions and want to do the best for their kids but then they have differing ideas on what the best is. And so they begin to parent very differently from one another. And often that leads to discord. One parent will blame the other parent because they believe that their intentions are in the best interest of the child, while the other parent firmly believes that their ideas and parenting skills and stuff are in the in the best interest of the child. So I think in terms of kids, the times that I have seen it work out best are where parents come up with a parenting plan and then they have regular meetings just about parenting and they leave the finances out of it and they leave the personal arguments out of it and they really operate as if it's a business relationship as opposed to a personal relationship. 
You know, it's interesting. There's something called attribution error, and attribution error says that we judge ourselves based on our own intention. So I'm a good person because I'm coming from a good place. I want the best right. for our, our, my child. And we judge other people based on the impact of their actions upon us. Well, you must not have the best interest of our child because you did something that hurt me. And I think that what you say is really accurate in my experience, Julie, and that is that people really do want what's best for their kids, and both parents are coming from a good place. They just yeah. disagree agree about what that is. And that disagreement, I think, can be really a disadvantage and a real problem for the kids. I completely agree with you. And I think one of the reasons that it becomes a problem for the children is that it creates in kids what we call a conflict of interest or a conflict of loyalties. And so children are kind of inherently loyal to their both, both of their parents. But when mom and dad disagree about something, then they feel compelled to choose a side. And obviously, if you're choosing for one parent, you're choosing against the other parent. And that creates a tremendous amount of guilt and anxiety and even despair because they love each parent equally. So they should never be put in a position where they have to choose to be loyal to one parent over the other. Well, what do you think? You know, I think that it's pretty common for children to say, and I, and I mean no criticism of them for this. I think this just happens kind of naturally. But children kind of say to each parent the thing that will draw them closer to that parent, and sometimes that means throwing the other parent under the bus. Do you think that's yeah. true? Yeah, I would absolutely agree. And I think that that isn't necessarily limited to divorce situations. Sure. I think... Kids are very, in the best sense of the word, I really do mean it that way, manipulative. So, you know, they try to strategize so that they get what they want. And that's why kids divide parents, even in a situation of an intact family, they divide parents into kind of good cop and bad cop. And they know which parents to go to to get what they want. Yeah, no, it's really funny. My husband and I just had an experience over the weekend where my daughter, who's a teenager, said to my husband, well, mommy told me not to do my homework, which I guess is technically true, but it was, it's a little out of context. And he's like, what are you talking about? So, yeah. Oh, yeah, exactly. Exactly. And kids are good at that. So... Julie Ross, that what you say sounds great. Treat it like a business relationship, you know, which means like try to be pragmatic about it. Try to be, you know, as unemotional and and take it as not personally as you possibly can. I think is that what you mean when you say treat it as a business relationship? Yes, and I would also say if you have a business, if you're running a business, you have regular staff meetings that talk about the mission of the business, what the business is trying to accomplish. You hear different people's perspectives about what the route is to take to achieve this mission. So regular staff meetings are key components of successful businesses. The same thing is true of the parenting relationship. Having regular meetings which talk about what outcome do we want for our kids and what is my view on how we'll get there? What is your view on how we'll get there? And how do we compromise? That sounds like really good parenting advice, whether or not you're divorced or not. That is correct. <laughs> I recommend that to every single parent. Even a parent who is 
a single parent by choice and doesn't have a partner in the picture at all, I think it's important for that parent to have a meeting with their child or children because that establishes the parent as the leader in the family and reestablishes it, but allows the children some input without being able to override the parent, of course. It allows the children to feel as though they're being heard as the family moves forward and grows into whatever that family is going to be. So, Julie Ross, are you saying that all families should have staff meetings, including the children? With With the children. I think you can have it with the children. Now, in a divorce situation, that can be a little tricky because it means mom and dad being in the same room. So, I mean, with the kids, and that can feel confusing to children. Does this mean mom and dad are getting back together? You know, what exactly is happening here? So in a divorce situation, I recommend that the parents have a parenting meeting. That's their staff meeting on how they're going to run the family. Then either they can have individual, what I call family meetings with their children, during which problems that come up in the family can be addressed. Sister Susie is fighting with Brother John because Brother John is playing his music too loud, for example. So how do we resolve that as a family unit? This is Dialogue on Divorce. I'm Catherine Miller, and I'm interviewing Julie Ross about co-parenting during divorce and, frankly, about parenting in general. Julie Ross is a parenting expert and the author of many books on the topic. And so what do you think, Julie, is the best way to keep the kids out of the middle in an acrimonious divorce when it is hard to talk in a civilized way? Mm -hmm. I think one of the things that confuses parents and encourages them to put the kids in the middle accidentally is not understanding how to figure out who a problem belongs to, who it initiates with, and who it's between. So, for example, you know, Sally comes home from being with one of her parents for the weekend visitation, right? Sally comes home as is infuriated and talks to the other parent and says, you know, dad or mom is not letting me watch my favorite TV show and you know it only comes on on weekends and I don't want to record it and it's because I want to be up to date so I can talk to my friends about it, that kind of thing. And the other parent has a tendency to then step into the problem and say, well, you know what, I'm going to talk to your dad or mom about it. And that is actually encouraging a kid to be in the middle when that's not where that kid belongs. So mom and dad talks to the other parent and, you know, and a big argument is going to almost inevitably erupt. Instead, when, when something like that happens, when a kid comes to one parent over the other and complains, it's really important to ask yourself, whose problem does this belong to? And who has the responsibility for resolving this problem? The problem in this case belongs to the child. The child has upset feelings about it. The child is raising an issue. The child's goal of being able to watch their favorite TV program at their parents' house is being thwarted. And those are the kind of three things that we look at. So really and truly to keep kids out of the middle, the parent to whom this is being told should be saying to the child, should be listening and saying that sounds hard and empathizing and saying, how might you be able to talk to your other parent about this? What could you say? What might help in this situation? 
In other words, setting the limit that I'm not going to get involved because this problem is between you and your other parents. And therefore, it empowers the child to learn the problem solve on their own. And it actually improves the relationship between the other parent and their child as well because that kind of conflict resolution is a natural component of any relationship. And it is really interesting because as you're talking, I'm thinking, well, imagine the kid comes home from school and says, you know, my teacher is really making me do my homework. Right. <laughs> <laughs> right. And I don't yeah. like it and I don't want to and I don't understand it. And, you know, what are you going to say? Oh, well, just don't do your homework then. No, right? You're going to have to. Exactly. Yeah. And you're not going to, you're also not going to go to the teacher and say, I can't believe you're making my child do their homework. Right. Right. You know, we try to leave the problems to whom they belong. Absolutely. It's a great, a great analogy. <laughs> and so, you know, the role isn't as clear. I mean, I think that really takes parenting maturity or parental maturity to say, oh, yeah. all right, you know, I'm not going to react here and like step in and say, you know what, I knew that person wrote a broomstick or whatever, right? <laughs> right. You, you know, that's it. that happened to me too. They wouldn't let me, you know, blah, 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 whatever. I think what you're saying is that if you can not rob your child of the problem and in, in with a good intent of trying to solve it, but don't make it personal to yourself, really allow the child and teach the child to help to problem solve on Thank his or her own. Exactly. And one of the things that we talk about in the book is what we call the box step of communication, where, you know, when you're confronted with a problem, take a step to the side and observe and think about it. Then take a step back and see if you can hear the problem from the other person's point of view. Then step back to your side and decide what you can respectfully put forth to the other person and then take a step forward and put that forth. So a lot of parents in many situations react instead of being proactive. And in part, it's because we feel that there's an immediacy to a problem when in reality, it's not a call to 911. We have an opportunity in any, almost any situation except a real call to 911 to step to the side, to step back, to think about what our response is going to be that's going to be the most beneficial for the child. Yeah, and I think that can be really hard to do. Do you have any tricks that you help your clients to utilize to, when they feel themselves in that moment and feel that urgency and that reactivity, how they can help to sort of slow down a little and think it through more proactively? Sure. Well, funnily enough, the biggest pause button that I urge parents to utilize is what I call zippy the lippy. <laughs> say nothing. You know how your grandparents always said, you can't say nothing, something nice, don't say anything at all? Well, this just occurs no matter what. Don't say anything. Stop. Withdraw, right? Remember that you're in a business relationship. Remember that it's your job to facilitate your child's relationship with their other parents without, you know, throwing yourself under the bus, without throwing them under the bus. So it really is kind of a clamp your lips tight. I also believe in if you're going to initiate a conversation, that you know has a potential conflict. Script yourself. That's an invaluable tool. Script yourself. Write down what you're going to say. And don't vary from the script. If your ex says 
something that you don't expect, simply say, have in your script at the bottom, I'm going to have to think about that. Or, you know, give me some time. Or I'll get back to you tomorrow. So have, you know, pauses built in but scripted. We operate, when we're in a conflict with someone, we often are operating with a fight, flight, or freeze response. And obviously the fighting is terrible for the kids. Fleeing is terrible for you. And freezing is often also terrible for you because it creates a situation in where you can get kind of walked all over like a doormat. So to disengage from the fight, flight, or freeze pattern, we really need to walk into these situations with preparation and with an actual script to follow. I'm Catherine Miller, and you're listening to Dialogue on Divorce. We're here on WVOX 1460 AM every other Wednesday from 5 to 5.30, or perhaps you're listening on our podcast, which is available on iTunes, SoundClouds, and on the podcast website, www.divorcedialogues.com. And I'm talking today with Julie Ross. She's the founder and executive director of Parenting Horizons. Julie, if people are interested in finding out more about what you do, your books, or are working with you, how can they reach you and get in touch? So one way is through my website, which is www.parentinghorizons, that's all one word, and horizons is plural, dot com. And my direct number is 212-765-2377. I do consultations in person via phone, via Skype, and via FaceTime. Great. That's super information. So what are some other hints, you know, maybe your sort of top three or top five pieces of advice that you can give to parents in divorce to help protect their children? Mm. So one thing is don't keep secrets from your child and don't ask them to keep secrets on your behalf. Secrets destroy families, period, end of sentence. So don't keep secrets. Don't ask them to keep secrets. So even if you're um, dating someone else or you think your spouse is, your former spouse is dating someone else, I mean, are these, I mean, people, I think, keep these secrets in the name of protecting their children. And sometimes they tell people, in my experience, one spouse will tell their children terrible, terrible things about the other. You know, your father is leaving me for another woman. You know, right. like there's a spin on that, right? Absolutely. So how do you distinguish keeping secrets from protecting the children? Sure. Well, I think there's a difference between keeping something private and keeping a secret. So keeping something private, for example, one thing that would be in the best interest of a child is if you are starting a new relationship with someone, you don't want to introduce your child to that person right away. They're already dealing with abandonment issues because of a divorce. You want to make sure that you keep that private until such time as you know it's going to be serious. And then, at that point, you want to make it public to the child. Keeping a secret in that case would be waiting and not telling the child until, like, you're getting married the next week, right? Right. That's not appropriate to keep that kind of secret. Secrets are things that often will hurt somebody else um, or have that kind of potential. So when parents are thinking about this, they need to to kind of look at what the timeline is for privacy versus secrecy. They certainly, as you pointed out, all too often I hear 
parents saying terrible things to their children. So, I, you know, I got asked the question the other week, you know, can I disclose that my spouse isn't paying their child support? I looked at them and they said, no, right? <laughs> and I said, yeah, not so much. Because even if that's true, that's a battle that has to be fought between parents, between grown-ups. Not putting the child in the middle of that and creating a feeling of resentment on that child's behalf. They deserve, kids deserve to have a relationship, except in cases of abuse, of course. But children deserve to have a relationship and have their own relationship with each parent. It's an interesting distinction between privacy and secrecy. I think that, mm-hmm. um, you know, you make a really important distinction there. So what else are the other on your top three or top five lists of things well, to do? Well, another one would be, you know, don't make your child the messenger between parents. Even small things like saying, oh, daddy, I'm going to pick you up at 530 is not fair to the child. It's expecting the child to take on responsibility that they don't necessarily need or want to have, and it becomes a weight. Children need to be children, and maybe this is a secondary point to that. I think all too often parents will do what we call parentify their child, which makes the child into the other parent. In a healthy family dynamic, in divorce or otherwise, you have to look at it as an upside-down triangle, and the parents are at the top, and the child or children are at the points at the bottom. And if you parentify the child, if you give them too much responsibility, even in delivering a message, it tips the triangle, and you've got parents and child on top and other parents on the bottom. And that's a recipe for disaster. Kids wind up feeling like they have to control things. I mean, it it often results in, you know, abuse of alcohol and that kind of thing if children aren't allowed to be children. You know, that's a really interesting point, and I think it's really easy to slip into it, you know. Oh, sure. With all good intentions. Why not tell Dad I'll pick you up at 530? I mean, the kid's going, right? I mean, what's the big deal, right? That's exactly right. And, of course, the other piece of that that can create a mess is the child forgets, right, to tell the other parent, and then the other parent gets mad at the first parent, for making the child the go-between in the, at the start, and then somebody's mad at the child. Everybody's mad at everybody at the end of that scenario. And you know, especially with today's technology, stash off a text. I mean, it's just much better to utilize the technology to our advantage than to make the mistake of, you know, making the child into a messenger. I remember when I was getting divorced, my kids really, I mean, I would just sort of give them things to carry in their backpacks. And, you know, one day my daughter turned to me and she said, you know, can't you just send it yourself? <laughs> and I'm like, what? What's it? It's, you know, you're going, it's your backpack is here. It's going to be there. Why can't, you know, but I was like, all right, I don't, may not understand it, but I'm going to respect it. Symbolism there, Catherine, because something that we put into a backpack really does create extra weight. You know, even a piece of paper, which is negligible, but creates extra weight. And I think we need to think about that in a psychological perspective to ask a child to say something creates an extra weight that they just don't need to be responsible for. All right. So that's, you know, don't make them the messenger or the carrier pigeon. Right. Right. What else? I think also kids have the right to be protected from the negativity between parents. 
So one thing that I often hear is, oh, my daughter, my son does not overhear me arguing with their father. And I'm like, oh, because they're out of the house? No, they're sleeping. Right. Well, kids are tuned in. There's absolutely, there's absolutely no chance that the child doesn't overhear a tone of voice, a raised, a raised voice, you know, in a volume. And even if that is true, even if the words are semi-civil um, and and the tone is moderate and the volume is moderate, children observe our, our emotions. They observe the tension in our in our shoulders. I've had numerous kids say, you know, after a supposedly civil conversation between exes on the phone, say, Daddy, why are you mad at Mommy? Well, Mommy, why are you mad at Daddy? And they're like, I'm not mad. Their shoulders are are mad, you know? Their face is mad. All right. I think we're out of time, but that Julie Ross is terrific advice. Thank you so much, Julie Ross, founder and executive director of Parenting Horizons. It's been great. Oh, thank you so much, Catherine. Anytime.